Today on Blue 58, the pack overcame what they lacked in give up a sack saw. A rookie named Black force a fumble with a smack had Devontae Adams pick up the receiving game slack and ultimately just got back on track. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and as tempting as it is to do the entire episode in rhyme, I just don't think I would be able to pull it off, at least not on short notice as we try to get this up at a reasonable time after the game. What a game it was. Kind of feels like this the, the kind of game where four years from now when the Packers are getting set to play the Texans again, we're going to do our what happened the last time they played segment of the preview show and, and look back and think, huh, well, it says here on Pro Football Reference that Aaron Rodgers threw for four touchdowns, but I, I guess I'm going to have to take their word for it because I don't really remember anything about the game. Packers were in control start to finish. There were some hiccups along the way. They were a little bit shorthanded, but they got it done. And really, it, it, sometimes it's as simple as that. A challenging part about doing this show, writing and talking about the Packers in general, is that you, you do have to come up with things to say. You have to look into the box scores and the game that you just watched and try to put together some kind of narrative. And sometimes... As we talked about on the previous show, it just is as simple as the Packers just being better than the team that they were playing. And that's a really uninteresting answer from a content perspective, but that's kind of the case today. The Texans are are now 1-5 in five and in free fall, or 1-6, in six, however many games they've played. It doesn't even matter. The Texans are that little of a factor in the NFL landscape, that their record at this point just does not matter. Look at J.J. Watt's post-game press conference. He is as checked out as a player can be and still be giving it 100%. The Texans are, are just that bad. So I'm left wondering, as we talk about this game, did we learn anything about the Packers at all? I'm not sure. Packers were really shorthanded. The Texans are really bad, and the Packers did what they were supposed to do, but uh, I don't know. On the one hand, they took care of business, but on the other hand, the only thing that was really going to help us learn anything new about this team was a loss. Unless you think I'm unhappy here or, or, or anything like that, don't take this as a bad thing. I've just left feeling thoroughly whelmed by this game, I guess. The Packers did exactly what they were supposed to do. Trying to think of an analogy for what this game was like, it reminds me of a trip to Taco Bell. Taco Bell is a standby in our household. When we want something quick and, and just kind of a, a fun, random thing, there's a Taco Bell like a mile and a half from our house. But the only outcomes that you can get at a trip to Taco Bell, as much as I like it, are exactly what you expect, and no more, or a complete disaster. Taco Bell is either the $2-ist burrito that you can ever get, or something that you would never want to feed anybody. Those are your options. You're either getting a $2 burrito made by a very cheerful, at least in my neighborhood, minimum wage employee, or you're getting the worst burrito that you could imagine. For some people, those are one and the same. As a Taco Bell fan, I like to get that $2 burrito. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because we're there often enough, 
the the drive-through employees seem to always be very happy to see us. But when we get home and we open up that bag of food, either it's exactly what we hope it will be or it's a complete and utter disappointment. There is no spectrum, and that's what this game was going to be. The Packers went pretty handily, a little sloppily without some of their best players, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Kevin King, but nonetheless fairly dominant. And if we got that every single Sunday, I'd be completely happy. So let's celebrate that a little bit. Packers took care of business against a the team they're supposed to beat. So let's start about talking about some good things. The plan worked. Number one, first and foremost, the plan worked. The plan the Packers base their entire team around is getting a lead, getting a big lead, and forcing teams to pass so that they can get back into the game or try to get their way back into the game. And then the Packers put out their athletic pass rushers and all their defensive backs in the field and try to slow you down. And that's basically what the Packers were able to do. They got enough from their offense that they could essentially put the game out of reach for a Texans team that was overmatched in a shootout. And then they were able to pressure Deshaun Watson enough that their offense couldn't run smoothly, the Texans' offense, that is. And as a result, even with a 13-point rally, if you can call it that in the fourth quarter, the Packers win 35-20. to On offense, you can't talk about the Packers' performance without talking about Devontae Adams. Big reason the Packers' game through the air worked as well as it did was because Devontae Adams kept beating the guy in front of him. To the tune of 190-some-odd yards, 196, two touchdowns, averaging 15.1 yards per catch. Devontae Adams is in pretty rare company. He is the ninth player in Packers history to have 190 or more receiving yards in a game. And again, that's just since 1950. Uh, Don Hudson did it a couple times. We'll talk about him in a second. But eight players since since 1950 have done it. Billy Houghton did it twice. Don Beebe did it. Jordy Nelson did it. James Lofton, Carol Dale two, two times. Javon Walker, Antonio Freeman, and Donald Driver. Devontae Adams joins that list. And I remember a couple years ago, there was a discussion going around, and I pushed back pretty hard on this, as to whether or not Devontae Adams was even a quote-unquote true number one wide receiver. It's nice to see Devontae Adams put up the big numbers to kind of go with his reputation. An article I read, I I wish I could remember who wrote it off the top of my head, but he was described in this article about Devontae Adams as your favorite wide receiver's favorite wide receiver. And it's just nice to see those numbers finally lining up with with the reputation that Adams has around the league. Another thing that went really well today uh, was the Packers getting their hands on the ball. Now, the defensive performance, as it so frequently is, was not spectacular. I thought it was very good. Not spectacular, but Deshaun Watson is a very good player. They've got a very good receiving core. And so they were going to move the ball a little bit. But the Packers made plays on the ball after not getting to the ball pretty much at all last week. In fact, if you go by our Ballhawks index stat, the Packers had zero plays on the ball last week. No sacks, no interceptions, no fumbles forced, no passes defensed. 
Today, they did considerably better than that. They had three sacks. They had four passes defensed, no interceptions, but two fumbles forced. That's a pretty good recipe for success. Also along those same lines, they got a big boost to their defense in the form of Kamal Martin. We'll talk about him a little bit more later, but at least the Packers have another option there now. We've talked on and off over the past couple weeks about the Packers adding talent to various parts of their team. Inside linebacker has been a popular trade suggestion among listeners, among, I think, the, the Packers' internet as a whole. I think Kamal Martin should at least slow those concerns a little bit. As nice as it would be to have a top-end linebacker, I don't think anybody you'd be able to trade for is necessarily going to be enough of a boost to your team to make it worth it, unless you're really going to give up a lot and go get one of the real stud linebackers that are out there. That being the case, the best you might be able to hope for is a guy like Kamal Martin coming back and being, what, better than Ty Summers so he doesn't have to play a big role and maybe slightly better than Chris Barnes. That in itself is a pretty good upgrade for your defense. So the Packers plan working overall, Devontae Adams having a big game, the defense playing pretty solid, and Kamal Martin coming back is the good stuff. What's the bad stuff? Nothing really. Let's be clear here. These are all very minor things. But right off the bat, I'm not sure A.J. Dillon has a role in the Packers' offense as it's presently constructed. With Aaron Jones out, it seemed like this would be the first time we'd really get a look at A.J. Dillon. That was not really the case, at least in terms of him actually affecting the game by getting the ball. He only touched the ball five times, all carries, 11 yards, a long of five. He was not doing a lot of motion stuff. They didn't really look at him as a receiver at all. You'd kind of think going forward he would slot into the Jamal Williams role. But right now it doesn't look like they have a role for him at all. Also on offense, Aaron Rodgers had his worst game in quite some time last week. This week he was much better statistically. There is still some concern, I think, about Aaron Rodgers and footwork and throwing off his back feet and maybe locking on to Devontae Adams a bit too much. This is pretty minor stuff, and I'm not sure how real it is or whether or not I may be imagining it, but it looked at at times like he wasn't stepping as confidently into throws as he was earlier this season. As to locking on Adams a little bit, I'm of two minds about that. First, it's not good if you restrict your offense to just one guy. But if you're going to, it might as well be the guy who's carving up the opposing defense. That said, the offense as a whole will be a lot better if there's a small threat of the ball going somewhere else. That also having been said, it's a lot easier for the ball to go somewhere else if there's somewhere else for that ball to go. And I think we saw again from Marquez Valdez-Scantling this week why it might not be the worst thing in the world to have another pass catcher in the lineup who isn't a tight end. 
Finally, I wanted to talk about the Packers three and outs late in the game. Just because I think there will be a perception that the Packers took their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half, this is not even so much a bad thing as something I just want to push back on a little bit, sort of preemptively. I don't know if it's true necessarily that the Packers took their foot off the gas. I think it might just be more true that they just started executing pretty badly there in the second half for a little while. One point they had three consecutive three and outs. Two of those drives, they gained zero yards. One of them ended with a block punt. That's really neither here nor there. That's not really the offense's fault, but it's something that happened. But on the last one in particular, when they go three three and out and gain no yards, they have a run that goes nowhere. Then they have a drop on a screen to Jamal Williams, a play that should be about as, as easy as it gets, but he drops one that hits him right between the three and the zero. And then Marquez Valdez-Scantling has a drop, a drop that should be noted was past the line to gain. The Packers would have had a first down Does should he hang on to that ball. This is a bad thing in the sense that a better opponent would have made the Packers pay there, but the Texans instead settled for two field goals. But on the other hand, this is not the Packers playing with a full deck either. They don't have David Bakhtiari, which affects some of the protections that you can do. They don't have Aaron Jones, which affects you both in the run and the pass. And they don't have Alan Lazard, who remains out with his core muscle injury, leaving the Packers with one fewer reliable option in the passing game. So as as sloppy or maybe incomplete as this performance may have been, I'm not sure the things that could have gone better really mattered all that much because a lot of them had to do with who wasn't on the field anyway. What does this mean then? Packers are 5-1. and one. That's the first thing that we should remember. Five wins in six games is never a bad place to be. Secondly, the Packers will regain first place in the NFC North if the Bears lose to the Rams Monday night. Also good. Third really good thing is the Packers will be no worse than second in the NFC if the Bears lose and no worse than third if the Bears win. That is not at all a bad place to be. All three of those things, any one of them is not bad. All three of them together are pretty great on the last weekend in October. Also, it should be noted, this was the last game in October already. Next Sunday's game is Sunday, November 1st, somehow. Time flies. So what happened next? happens next? Yes, the Packers do play their next game in the month of November. They will host the Vikings at Lambeau Field. Noon kickoff. The Vikings were off this week. They just traded Yannick Ngakwe as soon as I got comfortable saying his name, so boo on that, but yay for the Packers having another good pass rusher out of the division. Also looks like the Vikings have lost Daniil Hunter for the rest of the season as he's having ongoing back issues. That is not great for him, but again, great for the Packers. Overall, it kind of looks like the Vikings are, are packing it in for the season, which is a real shame considering they just extended their quarterback, their head coach, and their general manager. Enjoy that for a while, Minnesota. Let's talk about a bunch of random stuff from this game. First, David Bakhtiari's out. Your starting tackles in the game are Billy Turner and Rick Wagner. And it wasn't a disaster. Not the toughest opponent. Not a perfect performance. But Rodgers finished the game with no sacks. And that's about as good as you can hope for. 
I don't know if that's your long-term solution because you do now kind of weaken two spots there, but hey, it's better than having to figure out whether Yash Nyman can play right now. Sooner or later, I would like to see Yash Nyman out there just because given the physical gifts that he has, you, you figure the Packers aren't just keeping him around because he's a nice guy. Why not put the six foot seven dude out there? See what he can do. Then again, if you don't have to, why take that chance? Wanted to circle back to Kamal Martin again. Uh, he didn't really jump out to me a ton. Saw a couple nice hits, like the energy there. It's more pop than I think the Packers have had at inside linebacker in some time. This trio is probably better than they've been in a while. And again, like we talked about on the on the midweek pod last week, that may not be saying all that much, but still pretty good. You'd rather have two or three pretty good linebackers than one Blake Martinez and nobody else, right? I think. I think. Martin finished with six tackles. Like to see the package with him and Chris Barnes. That was a little bit different than I expected, but uh, a good surprise nonetheless. And it looked like Martin was also ra- uh, wearing the radio helmet, so he jumps right into that responsibility as well. That's pretty cool stuff. Something I didn't love from early in this game was the Packers going with a completely empty set. Aaron Rodgers and five pass catchers out in the formation on a third and 13. Predictably, Aaron Rodgers faced almost immediate pressure, had to basically throw it away. I like when the Packers do go empty. I don't like it in third and long situations. That seems like you're just inviting pressure. The Packers did that a lot in their week one game against the Vikings. And just about every time, you could see Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks just go, like, you could see the light bulb go on over their head. Okay, third down, long, empty set, we're coming. We're going to have more guys than they can block, and chances are we're going to get there faster than Aaron Rodgers can get the ball out. That's a pretty safe bet, especially when you got to have your guys run 13 yards to get to the sticks. I wish Matt LaFleur would stop doing that in that situation, but I think that is still a worthwhile approach in other situations. Interesting defensive formation, and overall I thought this was a really good defensive effort. I was really encouraged. Uh, two edge rushers standing up on the same side. Haven't seen a ton of that before. They we The Packers did this with Zedaria Smith and Preston Smith on one side of the formation together. They also did it with uh, Zedaria Smith and Rashawn Gary on the same side together. And then their other, their third edge rusher would have his hand on the ground on the other side of the formation. Uh, mentioned earlier that uh, Devontae Adams was one of nine players after 1950 to have 190 receiving yards or more in a game. We mentioned Don Hudson also did it pre-1950 at least once. One game I was able to find the Packers blowing out the Chicago Cardinals on November 1st, oddly enough, 1942. Don Hudson had five catches for 207 yards. That is a nifty 41.4 yards per catch average. Had three touchdowns that day and had 178 yards on just his touchdown catches. Just before halftime, and it feels like I'm complaining a lot. I don't I don't mean to. These are just the, the negative things that kind of, it's like the, the grain of sand that turns into the pearl. Packers got a great win here. There's just some nagging little things that bother me. And uh, they, uh, apparently a lot of them made them in, into this list. But a little before halftime, the Packers did one of the things in football that bothers me 
the absolute most. It just makes me almost apoplectic watching these games when this happens. Fourth and two from the Houston 44. The Packers line up. Aaron Rodgers does the hard count thing. Nobody jumps. And the Packers take a delay of game penalty to get into better position to punt. I just want one time for a coach to get up after a game and say, yeah, we just wanted to to make sure that we could punt better because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to get off the best punts that we can. Now, the point of the game is just just score points. And fourth and two from the 44, when you're moving the ball well and your defense is actually playing pretty well, should be a pretty reasonable situation to go for it. The Surrender Index on Twitter tracks punts and ranks them on what what it calls the cowardliness of the punts. It's a great follow if you um, are interested in this this sort of thing, when teams should be punting. This was a 91st percentile cowardly punt. One of the most cowardly punts that they that you can have. Basically, they're, they're just saying that punting in situations like this is getting you closer to losing than it is to winning. What infuriates me even more about this is that it actually worked. You don't know if it would have been any different if they'd have had the extra space, but... J.K. Scott launches a beautiful punt, bounces near the 10, and the Packers are able to down it at the 2. The darn stupid thing actually worked. Got a good outcome with a bad process. Can't win them all, I guess. I'm interested to see the snap counts from this game Monday morning when they came out because it feels like we've been seeing more and more of Jonathan Garvin. In fact, I actually wondered uh, during the game if he was taking snaps away from Preston Smith or just trying to give him a little bit of a breather. Is Are they... Do they like Garvin more? Are they trying to keep Preston Smith fresher? Just rotating him in a little bit more to keep everybody a little bit fresher? Either way, I think it's a good idea. I think he's a a good prospect, and it's interesting to see the seventh-round pick actually out there. Uh, But we don't know for sure just yet. He he has played a little bit more in recent weeks. Um, And he's a great athlete. God has some great length. And it's never a bad thing to have more pass rushers out there. So... um, I don't know if it's anything at all, but it could be a trend to watch. Uh, Packers deep safeties, and I don't mean deep safeties like playing deep down the field. We'll finish with this one. I found very interesting this season. Packers have two two interesting prospects there. First, Vernon Scott, their other seventh-round pick, had a nice open field tackle late in the game. Uh, just one-on-one in the open field. I think it was against Brandon Cooks, but I'm not sure. Uh, just wraps the guy up, stops him well short of the first down, does exactly what he's supposed to do. He's been pretty much exactly what I hoped he would be as a seventh-round pick. Good special teams contributor. He has a a small role on defense, but when he's out there, he moves fast and hits hard. What else do you want? Henry Black, their other safety prospect, had a forced fumble late. He was one of the undrafted free agents about whom I was the most excited. Here's what we we said about him way back when. Uh, You want your safeties to play linebacker? How about a safety who used to be a linebacker? He actually was scouted as an outside linebacker at Baylor, because they play a 3-3-5 defense, or did when he was being being scouted. So three linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. You kind of want hybrid linebackers anyway in that sort of scheme, but he played linebacker full-time for his first three years of college football. Then as a senior, he moved back to the, the defensive backfield, since he's a little bit on the smaller side for a linebacker, but actually played safety after playing linebacker. Usually you go the other way. Could you get a more perfect fit for what the Packers like to do? 
According to Pro Football Reference, also thought this was interesting, he is the only the third Packers player since 1999 to force a fumble in his first game in the NFL. Jamal Reynolds and Mike Neal are the other two. So there's your Henry Black fact for the day. Good win for the Packers. Again, not a lot to go on here. Packers beat a bad team. They beat them pretty handily. They weren't perfect, but they had a lot of holes in their roster today. Not a lot to complain about there. Feeling pretty good. Would feel even better if they were able to do the same thing to the Vikings next Sunday. And we will have plenty of discussion about that as we head through this week. If you like this show, and I do appreciate you listening in, go ahead and share it with somebody you think would benefit from it. That's going to help us grow this conversation we're having around the Packers and ultimately help us achieve our goal of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.